Um, before we get started, uh, let's pray real quick, and then uh, we'll get into the Bible. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you so much uh, for the ability to gather here and to study your word. Lord, I pray uh, that your word um, would change lives. And God, I pray that um, you would give us a challenge from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, majority of the time tonight, we will be in 2 Corinthians 4. So if you'll just go to 2 Corinthians 4, um, we will try not to hop around too much, hopefully. But this is something God has dealt with me about in the past. And uh, every time I get to preach or I get to talk um, you know, in front of people, I always try to mention this in some aspect. But this is a, it's in the area of sharing the gospel. And uh, this passage was actually one of those things that you, you read through the Bible out of schedule at the time. And it just jumped off the page at me. And I want to share that with you. And maybe we'll encourage you, challenge you, and push you uh, to walk with God more closely and to uh, be a Christian and share the gospel. Um, I've got to rewind a bit, though. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the way that we have the gospel here in Balancholic, Ireland, primarily the reason we have because of a man named the Apostle Paul. Um, I've known people that try to trace their spiritual lineage uh, through missionaries, through teachers, but more often than not, it does go back to the Apostle Paul. In Bible colleges, in Bible institutes, in churches, Paul is the model soul winner. He's a model missionary. He's a model theologian. But there was one thing we forget about. And uh, the first time I had met uh, Pastor Craig, we had talked about this. But a lot of people forget about this. Paul had a team. It wasn't just Paul going into Macedonia. It wasn't just Paul going into Rome. The, the lowest part of his time, he said, hey, at least I have Luke with me. But I was curious about this, and I, and I knew there were people all through the New Testament that had helped Paul out. You got Priscilla and Aquila that helped him build tents. They were from Rome originally. They became preachers. They trained Apollos, a powerful preacher. We know guys like that. We know Timothy. We know Titus because their names are books in our New Testament. But there's also a few that are just mentioned here and there. You got guys like uh, Tychicus, who I didn't know existed until I started studying Tychicus would just go around and deliver the uh, letters to the churches, which became our Bible. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was a messenger. You've got guys like Trophimus, who was a preacher boy like Timothy. So there's like two verses he's in. He talks about, hey, I have Timothy and Trophimus with me. And then Trophimus gets sick, and he leaves him in a place to preach even while he's sick. So you go through this. There's not just, it's not just young men. He's got families, the house of Stephanus who ministered to him, they, and it said that they addicted themselves to the ministry. You've got families, you've got even a set of twins mentioned. You've got so many people, the minimum number um, that I've seen from the Bible, and there are probably more, the minimum number we have is about 35 people, maybe more. That's the minimum. But wherever Paul went, it wasn't just him soul winning. He would try to drive other people to soul win. It wasn't just him planting churches other people were planting churches with him. And these are normal people. One of the guys he mentions is a treasurer in a city. He's just a, he's a banker. 
A lot of these people, they were not apostles. They were not missionaries, but they were part of his team. And I look at that and I say, you know what? I will never be like the Apostle Paul, ever. But I can be like those people who helped. Or I can be like Timothy, who was sent to go to a place and preach. Or I can be like Titus, who was told to stay put and preach. So we get this idea, like Paul's a super Christian, and he was a great Christian, but he had a team. And when I started studying this, it made me read my Bible differently. This was about... I want to say three years ago, in my devotions, I was reading along in the book of books of First and Second Corinthians. I was just over and over again those two books. I was studying them, and I came upon Second Corinthians chapter four, and it was one of the days I was going to go out soul winning, and I wasn't really excited about it. But I read this passage, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, "Hey Ryan, this is what I want you to do. This is the right attitude to have." And we're going to jump right in. I'll do a bit of background once we get started, but let's take a look at the first verse. This is the main idea that we'll be talking about. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. I read that passage, and I was involved in soul winning. That was my ministry the day that I read that. So uh, thinking... You know, immediately I was like, okay, so let me try to apply this scripture to what I'm going to do today. And I was going soul winning. What I didn't know until I studied it later, that that word ministry is found all over the Bible. It means to serve. Simple. It, it doesn't mean in a special position. It doesn't mean a special It means to serve. And what's so great about this is all the times ministry is mentioned in the Bible, we always look around to kind of see, okay, what's he talking about? Sometimes Paul talked about the ministration of the gospel, the ministration of mercy. He, he was real specific. But in this passage, in 2 Corinthians, especially in chapters 4 and 5, ministry talks about sharing the gospel. And we're going to go a step further. It also means to live the gospel. And we'll talk more about that. But we have this ministry. At the time, uh, when I read this, my main ministry was going to parks um, in California and bringing kids to the park and having a one-day Bible club. That was my ministry. But I wasn't running it. It wasn't like I was preaching the gospel at those events or really interacting with the kids on a soul-winning level. My main task was to do games. I love doing sports. I love doing games. I love getting kids to play dodgeball, uh, tag, steal the bacon, all kinds of games. Uh, We'll even make up games on the spot. It's fun. So I was trained how to do games. I knew how to, how to, you know, make them an example. I, I, I had the head knowledge, but what I was lacking was conviction. And it was like, well, Ryan, that's just games for kids. And you don't understand The reason I did games for kids, we always did the games before the lesson. The games person's job is to make the kids kind of tired so that when they sit down and hear the preaching that they can focus and focus on God and his word. So I knew that that was my task. And that seems like a really small task, but ministry is just serving. Something may be really small, but it will have an impact. 
So I directly applied that scripture to that. But we all have ministries like that, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Some of us play instruments. Some of us teach children. Some of us um, do the best we can to do just a little bit here and there or welcome a visitor. But we all have a ministry. But there's a really big ministry that God gave us, a ministry of reconciliation. That's witnessing. Now, the first uh, grouping of verses we'll talk about is verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 if you'll follow along with me in the Bible. Uh, we'll start again verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At first glance, the first idea I get when I read those first six verses, there's a word that um, we as Christians struggle with when it comes to the gospel. The word is ownership. If you go through those first six verses, you'll find words that like my, our, ours, it's our gospel. Yes, it came from God, but when you got saved, guess what happened? He gave that to you. He gave you that ministry. He gave you that to manage and grow. I have, uh, back home, let's see, this last Christmas, I'm from Texas, uh, those of you who don't know me, um, it's a great place to live. Um, it's okay, I'm not anticipating going back, it's going to be really hot. So for Christmas, I got some of the awesomest. They're not really colorful. They're just like brown. They're cowboy boots. And I don't, I don't wear cowboy boots like ever, but I love them. I love them so much, I, I don't wear them. <laughs> Here's why. Because I know, because I know, I will scuff them up. I am a chronic shoe scuffer. And I don't know what it is. I do a lot of running. I do a lot of activity. But for some reason, when I put dress shoes on or cowboy boots on, and I'm stepping over a curb in the parking lot or on the street, I just can't win. But those are my cowboy boots now. They were given to me as a gift, and I don't want to scuff them up so badly that I will not wear them. When I do wear them, I get in and out of my car. Like, I lift my feet up, I rotate my body, and, like, set my feet straight down, not dragging them over anything. And when I walk, it's like... I'm in snow or something or in the river. But I own those. I try to take care of the things I own. And if we're honest, we have things that were kind of like that too. Um, I have family members, they have their favorite chair. That's their chair. They own it. I have people that say, hey, that's my favorite tie. And they take care of that. When they go to eat, they either take it off or they tuck it in their dresser. It looks so weird. But they want, that's their tie. That is that is their item. They own it. And as Christians, sometimes 
we don't take care of our gospel. You see, in 2 Corinthians, there, there, there are, obviously there are two, two books of the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is an admonition. They were a church. They were, they were actually doing their best to witness, but they were not living right, so it damaged the testimony of the gospel and of Christ. And there were a lot of problems in that church. Um, these Christians were Christians I would not have wanted to know. Um, but these guys, they were rough. They had some major sin problems, but they got it right, and Paul wrote 2 Corinthians as a letter of encouragement. It's like, hey, I'm sorry I had to say that, but I had to say it because it made you a better Christian. It made you walk with God better. So their problem was, yes, sharing the gospel, but their other problem was living the gospel. They had to live differently. Uh, back in Texas, I have friends or associates um, that I know just throughout my normal life that are not Christians. They do not go to church. And I am probably one out of the few people that will tell them the gospel in their life. But when I'm around them, if I do not live like I should, my testimony is null and void. My gospel becomes hidden by my own actions. That's what I'm saying when we say we gotta live the gospel. You see, he said, hey, we have this ministry. It was like, yes, you're doing great right now. Now you have this ministry where you say, hey, you can share the gospel because, yes, your actions are backing it up. You're acting like a child of God should. You know, a lot of times we see kids misbehaving, and it's like we think about, man, why don't the parents do something? Sometimes that's a judgment, and that's wrong. But I wonder if that's how unsaved people see us sometimes. Man, that person says they're a child of God. They don't act like a child of God. So sharing the gospel is about ownership. We've got to own it. Now, ownership is one of those things that's become a, uh, it's become kind of a misused word. Ownership, by what we mean, is that you don't hide it. Ownership in this sense is you share it. Hey, if I love something, I'm going to talk about it. Um, I love gummy bears, as the Ledbetters know. I love them. Haribo gummy bears, love them. Um, I love them so much that I will walk, um, what is it, probably more than a quarter of a mile. Yeah, I will walk and get them. I, am, I, I, I have a problem, and I recognize that. Um, so if you, if you have any, don't tell me, um, because I will have a problem. So, but I love them, and I love talking about them. I do. Um, when I was challenged, hey, those are not healthy, I proceeded to take the package, roll it over, and go through the ingredients, like I have done so many times before, and I advocate why I can't eat them. Because I love them. But I also love the gospel, and I love God's word. And what I love, I'm going to talk about. Sometimes as Christians, hey, we love Jesus. We love God. We love coming to church. We love the Bible. We love learning about the Bible, but hey, I don't want to talk about it. And I, I had that trouble too. Um, believe it or not, I am not a super outspoken person, but this is something God's dealt with me with. And sharing the gospel is one of those things 
You will never get good at it until you actually do it. Sharing the gospel is a, it's an exercise of faith, and it's part of your walk with God. This ownership, it's got to be honest. Let's look at these verses right here. It says, um, verse 2, it says, uh, they've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It's got to be honest. It's got to be genuine. You know, like I said earlier, if I'm not living the Christian life, and then I go share the gospel with someone, they're like, man, what are, what are they trying to get me to, like, I wonder if they're thinking, man, what is he trying to get me to do? He's just trying to get me to come to his church, or he's just trying to get me to subscribe to his religion because they see it's not real. And we've got to be careful of that. It's got to be genuine. Ownership is ultimately gained from God, but it's your responsibility to maintain your knowledge of the gospel and the way you share it. What I love about sharing the gospel is God's done so much for me, it's hard for me to say, man, how do do I share the gospel? Because God saved me from my sins. And he changed my life. Why wouldn't I want to share that with someone? When I talk to someone I don't even know, you know, I try to be polite. I try to do all the right things. But ultimately, I've got to tell them, hey, this has changed my life. Would you be willing to change your life? Would you be willing to listen and see what God did for me? Maybe God can do the same for you if you let him. So ownership's got to be honest. It's got to be genuine. It's gained from God. Ownership shares the gospel, comes with a high responsibility. One chapter over in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul takes about half of that chapter to talk about, say, hey, you have the word of reconciliation. You have the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying, hey, this is a letter to the church, but it's written by the Holy Spirit. So it's God saying, hey, this is yours. Show me what you can do with it. Jesus gave the commission. He said, hey, he's talking to his disciples, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, go, tell. And a lot of times, we don't like to go and we don't like to tell. But it's a command given from Jesus. And, and I thought this, this was so mind-blowing to me. Jesus, God in the flesh, he could have came to earth and invented a printing press and printed all the tracts and literature he wanted. He could have come down and engineered a sound system that could have gone through the earth and him preach so everyone could hear it. He could have built a mega church and decided to share the gospel like that. But no, he invested into 12 men. One of them betrayed him. He invested into those 12 men. He prayed for them. He lived with them. And this is God we're talking about. God in the flesh lived in one of the poorest parts of the world at that time with some of the most uneducated, prejudiced people who have ever lived. He invested in them. He lived with them. He, he slept on boats. He slept in mountains. He had no place to lay his head because that was the best way he knew that the gospel was going to get shared was through those 11 men. And he chose that. He chose those men, knowing full well what would happen. And now we're here today. 
If you're a Christian, you've been saved by their testimony. Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He said, I pray for those that believe by their testimony, talking about the disciples, and that's us. So that responsibility to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, that's you and me. But where does the world start? Does the world start off in a faraway place? No. The world starts right here. The world starts with your world, your sphere of influence, your people you're around, your family, your friends, your co-workers, people that you see every day. But it's got to be genuine. Ownership shares the gospel, and it's a responsibility. All right, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. This ministry gives us an opportunity. You say, Ryan, that sounds like a dark opportunity, the verses we just read. And yes, the Christian life, Jesus never prom promised prosperity. He did promise persecution and suffering. I was, um, I was talking with um, a guy. He recommended a book to read. It was kind of a, what we'd call how we defend our Christianity, apologetics. We we're just having a conversation like that. And um, he recommended to me a book, and I, re I read through it. And something struck me as very interesting. What separates us, people who are saved, people who are walking with God, people who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, what sets us apart from pretty much every religion in the world is that the ultimate part of what we believe is that we get to walk with God. The Muslim, he does, he does his Muslim actions so that he can get a reward. The Catholics, they do their actions so that they might get a reward. But we, we walk with God. That's the ultimate Jesus didn't promise prosperity, but he did say, hey, he promised he'd be with us every step of the way. He promised us, he said, he, go, he said, I am come not that they may have life, but that they ha might have it more abundantly. That abundant life doesn't mean, you know, Lamborghinis, um, stacks of 100 euro currency in your wallet all the time. The abundant life is the idea that, hey, every day, because I've trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior, that I get to walk with Him, that I get to read His Word, that I get to pray, that I get to actually have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. The opportunity that we have in sharing the gospel is giving others that chance. This opportunity also lets us see the power of God in our lives. When we're out trying to uh, live the gospel, trying to maintain that good testimony, and when we're out sharing the gospel, it gives us an opportunity to see how God works. Because I know that, hey, 
I can't say the exact right words to make someone go, huh, I've never thought about that. But I do know that the Holy Spirit has promised to use His Word. And when I use God's Word, I get the chance to see God work. And I love it. We also have an opportunity to see the power of God at work in our lives. And it will be evident in some of the worst times. That's what Paul's talking about. Hey, we are (laughs) perplexed. (laughs) We are forsaken. We are cast down. These are not good things. But hey, because of those things, Paul got to see God work in an amazing way. Some of the hardest times in my life um, in my family have been the greatest times that we've walked with God. And personally, me, some of the closest times I've been to God have been times where I've been uncomfortable or I have experienced some sort of grief or disappointment or fear. And in those worst times, we have the opportunity to see God work, but we've got to keep our mind focused on Him. The other opportunity, though, is And Paul mentions, hey, he says uh, all those terrible things were perplexed, you know, all this other stuff. He says those things, but he says, 12, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. He's saying, hey, because of all the bad things that happened to us, we got to Corinth and we shared the gospel with you. And you heard our testimony. When I uh, was out soul winning, um, this would have been... It's been like two two years ago as well. Out soul winning something, a tragedy had happened in my family, and um, it's just really sad. And I didn't know how God was going to use that in my life. But when I went out soul winning, I met a man who had struggled with the same exact thing that I had just been through. He was going through it, and I was able to sit there and talk to him for forty five minutes. He was saved. He was a new Christian. But I was able to say, hey, I'm not telling you this because me, Ryan Scoggins, know better, but because, hey, I've seen God work in a horrible situation, and God can do great things through that situation you're going through. You just got to keep on walking with him. Um, when I was younger, I used to be more disciplined. I, I still do it today. I, I like to go running. It, it clears my head. I'll run for long distance for a long time. But the way they would train us, and luckily I had a coach that was a Christian, and they said, hey, running's a good time for you to go through your prayer list. It's a good time for this because you're not thinking about running. But the one thing that gets you through running is, hey, one more step. One more step becomes, okay, one more kilometer, and then one more mile, one more, one more. And that's our Christian life. Hey, there are these bad times in our Christian life, and we've just got to take, hey, one more step with God, one more kilometer with God, one more mile with God, one half marathon with God. And we gives us an opportunity when these bad times come, when, when we're sharing the gospel and, hey, maybe nothing great's happening, but we do have the opportunity to see God at work in our lives and in other people's lives. Think of Job. And you mentioned this last week. He had an opportunity in his life, and he didn't, he didn't realize it until the end, 
how God was going to work. But he had that opportunity. So sometimes, you know, when we're in the middle, we give up because, oh, God's not working in this. But I wonder sometimes if we just stay in, walking with God, not giving up on God, making sure that we're not blaming God. Sometimes I wonder if God would bless that more, which I think he would. But another guy I think about when I say, hey, opportunity as far as bad times and witnessing, I think of the maniac of Gadara. One of my favorite Bible stories, there's this man, he lives in the tombs, he's not clothed, he's wild. It takes men to put him in chains, he breaks chains, he's demon-possessed, he's, he's crazy. He put every punk rock and roller to shame. He's a wild man. And um, it sounds like a lot of Texans, I know. Um, but anyways, he meets Jesus, right? And that's the, that's the day everything changed for him. But in the passage in Luke 8, 38, uh, 8, verse 38 through 40, I'll read this for y'all, but listen closely. It says, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him, Jesus, besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout his whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Hey, the maniac of Gadara, he got saved. And he said, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be with, with you and your disciples. He said, no, return to your own house. Tell the people what I have done in your life. He went, he published it throughout his city, his family, everyone. And when Jesus came back to that area, one of the few times where Jesus came back to an area, they all received him gladly because of that man's testimony. We have that same opportunity. Hey, I wasn't, I wasn't living in tombs <laughs> before I got saved. I wasn't, I wasn't a wild man, but I was a sinner. And everyone on this planet's a sinner. And Jesus changed my life. And Jesus can change their life too. So we have this opportunity. In verse, uh, verse 13, back to verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. This ministry presents us a great option. And this option is to speak of what you believe. And I know we've talked about soul winning and talking about sharing it. But speaking about what you believe is, is interesting. Jesus said, hey, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whatever is inside of you is going to come out. It is. Um, when uh, in public school, when I was little, uh, when we were learning about computers, computers have advanced even in my lifetime. But they would tell us that a computer works on the premise of what you put in is what you will get out. So you put junk in, you get junk out. You put good information in, you can get good information out. 
Well, the same thing's true for us. If we spend our time absorbing things that are spiritually junk for us or refuse garbage, then when the world, you know, pushes up against us, it's going to come out. But if we're filling ourselves with the Bible, with knowledge of the Word, if we are being submitted to the Holy Spirit, when those hard times come, it'll come out of you. The illustration throughout the Bible, uh, um, one of the illustrations is a wine press. And in a wine press, they would just squeeze grapes as much as they could, stepping on them, grinding them, whatever they could to get it out. And that's like us. Sometimes the world's going to squeeze us and see who we really are. And a lot of times, if we're going to be honest, hey, we're not what we should be. But thank God that it wasn't like God said, hey, uh, here's the Bible, have at it. You're on your own, see you guys. No, he gave us his word, but he gave us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who lives and dwells each believer. And you got to walk with him. In Ephesians uh, 5, uh, 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you've got two extremes here, being drunk with wine or being filled with the Spirit. In both instances, you are controlled by something that is outside of you. It's an external influence. But the Holy Spirit, He's God, in that He's an external influence for good. And when He indwells you, you're under His influence, a higher power something far more wiser than any professor could be, something far more wiser than the greatest theologian could be, God himself. So we have this option to speak what we believe. This quote, it says, um, let's take a look at that, verse 13. It says, uh, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Um, if you're taking notes, write down Psalm 116, um, verse 10, but the entire psalm. That psalm is David speaking about what God did in his life. King David. God had changed his life <laughs> big time, several times. And David continuously talked about it. If you believe it, speak it. So as we go through this passage, we see that um, we've got ownership, we've got opportunities, we've got options. But... One of the options that sometimes we're, we, uh, we, don't, we don't like sometimes, but I mean, I love it. We have an option to fellowship with believers. Verse 14, the latter part says, and shall present us with you. What I love about reading the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament is that, hey, he's always saying, hey, I'm praying for you, or hey, I, w I wish I was there. I, I've heard you guys doing this is good. Or hey, I've heard you guys doing this is bad. But Paul says, hey, the same God that had the power to raise from the dead will bring us together. And in my life, every Christian I meet, every saved person, is a miracle of God because I would not have met any of those people. I would not have met all of you if we were not saved. 
So we're part of this fellowship, this commonality, and that commonality is Jesus Christ. And when the bad times come, you do have an option by God. What I love about this is that verse 15, it's like Paul is saying, hey, I've gone through a bunch of stuff for your sake. And he's not saying that to brag to them. He's saying, because I love you. I've got guys that um, I've invested in spiritually, sat down with the Bible, that no longer follow God or walk with Him. And it breaks my heart because I love them. But if we're honest, we all have people like that in our lives. Say, man, I did everything I could. But we still got to glorify God in those situations as well and give God His glory. The final thing we're going to see from this chapter is that there is a final outcome from all of this. Verse 16 to the end of the chapter says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul said, hey, why am I telling you all this, guys? Hey, why do we have this ministry? Because it does have There's an end. Because the end may not be what you think it is. It may not be beautiful. But the end is entirely up to God, and God ultimately blesses. As a Christian... The day that God has done with me on this earth, that same time, that same moment, is when I go to heaven. That's my outcome. We are made like Christ instantly. We're glorified, made like Him. And I wonder, a lot of times uh, we think about, man, heaven's going to be so great, and that, that's great. And uh, like Pastor Ledbetter was talking about this morning, sometimes we don't think about, you know, the second coming or all these other things that are going to happen that are, that are great as well. And that we get to be a part of it and see it. We get front row seats to it to watch God do all these amazing things. But while you're here on earth, you can have a front row seat to seeing God work in other lost people's lives. You can get to see some of that here and now. We have an outcome. The, the verses we just read obviously state that it's eternal. And that's something I have trouble comprehending. I like to think in, in terms of time. I, lo- I like studying time. It's, it's an interesting study. But I can't wrap my mind around eternity. I can't. And if someone says they can totally understand eternity, then they're lying. Because as a human, we're finite, and God is infinite. He's eternal. We are eternal as well, but not of our own ability, but of God's ability. Our outcome's eternal. In the first book of Corinthians, in in chapter 3, the first book of Corinthians, again, uh, like I said earlier, he's kind of saying, he's not kind of saying, he's rebuking them. 
He's saying, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. You're not doing the Lord's Supper right. You're not doing this right. At the beginning of that book, he talks about, hey, you know, you guys, and he's, and he's talking to them, he's saying, hey, you're saved, but you're not living right. But there's a judgment coming for the believer as well. And it's not a judgment, you know, that's like heaven or hell. It's not that kind of judgment. It's like a, um, what I would liken it to is a conduct report. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we did with the gospel, what we did with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 19 through 15, this will be uh, the last scripture I mentioned. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. I'm in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, for those of you. Thumb me through. I'm sorry I didn't say that loud enough. All right. I'll, I'll give it a second. This is good. I was recently challenged by uh, this passage again because obviously I didn't get it the first time I read it. So the Holy Spirit saw fit to challenge me again recently. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. He was telling them, hey guys, he says, Corinthian believers, church at Corinth, you know, you guys will go to heaven. You're saved, you will go to heaven. That's God's promise. But you need to watch how you live. You need to watch what you do with the gospel. You need to build upon that foundation of the gospel in your life. But you need to build on it things that will last. Not the wood, hay, stubble, the garbage. The stuff that gets burned easily, that's temporary. Eternal things. And we got to realize that you know, being a Christian, becoming a Christian, getting saved is the greatest thing on earth. But it's not like God gave us a, a blank check to go sin. God gave us a tool, gave us a ministry, gave us his word and power behind it to share the gospel with others. In my, in my life, I will be honest, I have not been a great soul winner. But because of what I've read in the Bible, because of the Holy Spirit convicting my heart, I've become a soul winner. Not because of what I did, but because God worked in me and I allowed him to work in me.
So I hope that helped all of you. Um, it helps me every time I get to go through that passage. It's a challenge to me too. Um, I by no means have attained this. It's something I'm working on, something I'm continuously working on. I hope it helped you um, as Pastor Ledbetter comes forward um, for invitation.